Too often, faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Hey, welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera. Hey, one week until we start some new episodes running into the fall. It's going to be awesome. And I didn't, I, I know I've been doing a lot of repeats, and so hopefully you've been catching up. But I want to jump on real quick. So I co-host a podcast called Celtic Way with my good friend, Father Scott Jenkins. And we had this great episode uh, that just released this week with a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Her name is Jana Spangler. And I enjoyed it so much that I thought, hey, why don't we also put it out on the Chasing Goodness podcast? So all that to say, enjoy this episode of what's actually the Celtic Way podcast, but for you, it's the Chasing Goodness podcast, and enjoy this interview between myself, my good friend Scott, and Janice Spangler. I, I often tell Scott, I don't know that I'm really, really great representative of an, your average Mormon, <laughs> but, but I am a, I'm born and raised, and they will always be my people. And I, I still am in communion with them for now. There you go. I always, Jenna, I always say, because I sometimes would say the same thing about myself and Christianity, and I'm pretty sure Scott would say the, uh, the same. I always say I'm a, a person who I, I, I say like Christianity is my native language. It's just what I know. Yes. So it's what I funnel everything. I funnel everything through Jesus because that's that's just what I grew up with. Doesn't mean yeah. it's the only or right way. It's just the way that makes sense to me. So I love speak- that. That's a that's a very familiar framing for me. I I almost feel like Mormonism in my neck of the woods because I live in Utah is almost an ethnicity. You know, several lines of my ancestry go back to the very beginnings of Mormonism. You know, several generations back. So I do. I feel like it's my native language and it's who I will always be. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so maybe for people listening, who I mean, I think pretty much everyone have has heard of. Mormonism, uh, mm-hmm. Church of Latter-day Saints, but maybe you could, for anybody who's just a little unfamiliar with some of the the basics, I guess, why don't you fill us in a little bit on what it means, at least for you, to to be a Mormon? Oh, yeah. It's a loaded question, because what if you ask the average Mormon what it means to be um, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a very different thing, probably, than how I see it these days. But what I was raised with, the the core idea is that um, after Jesus and his apostles um, were gone, that there was an apostasy and that the priesthood power was removed from the earth and that mankind was on his own until Joseph Smith in in the early 1800s um, had a, a... a visitation. We talk about it like it's a visitation. We call it the first vision, but we talk about it like it's a visitation. Where where this mystical, in my mind, we're a mystical um, religion that started with mysticism that became very literal and very concrete very quickly. So so Mm. people will talk about the first vision. God 
came to Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ, two separate human beings in the flesh, came to Joseph Smith and told him that he needed to not join any of the churches that he had been investigating and that he needed to just hold off and, and the truth would be given to him. And over the next couple of decades, he uh, translated what they believe is the, the Book of Mormon. Um, he restored priesthood power to the earth for Peter, James, and John. He uh, established the one true church on the face of the earth. And uh, that is pretty much, but that's that's the genesis of it. Then we have just some complicated history of, of his death and Brigham Young taking over. And Brigham Young, in my mind, made it a very different church. Brought everybody out to Salt Lake City and established Zion. And, um, and here we are. Uh, and so a couple of the maybe unique things about us, other than we call it Godhead, not Trinity, um, even though we follow Jesus Christ, we believe Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's a, it's a, it's a very different thing than the rest of the Christian world. Um, and we have living prophets and believe in continuing revelation and that the leaders of our church can continue to receive revelation from God. That's a mouthful. It is. That's Got a it. lot. Check. Yep. yep. <laughs> Check those theological and then, and then you can, boxes. And, and you can, you can go down the the rabbit hole of all of our interesting theology, but it includes eternal families, eternal marriage, um, you know, eternal progression to become like God. So all kinds of really interesting things that make us very unique. Have you always been a Mormon? Like I were have, you born? Born and raised. Yeah. Like I said, I've I have I have on both sides of my family, people that go back to being supporters, friends, bodyguards of Joseph Smith. So um, I even had wow. some great grandparents who who left Iceland in <laughs> the late 1800s to come to Utah to gather with the Mormons. So it's an intense background I've got. Matt, do you just feel like we're like in this sitting with royalty now, man? I mean, be careful just, what thou sayest. Right. I suddenly feel like everything we do doesn't matter much. I don't know. So how did the two of you meet? So yeah. Jana and, and Scott, you, so this is interesting to me. You mm -hmm. met, I know you met at the living school, right? So that begs like a whole bunch of questions, Jana, but I'll let you guys know how you met a little bit. Well, I think it begged a lot of questions for Scott when he first met me and found out I was my friend. <laughs> it begged um, some questions for me of what you were doing there. Yeah. And, and most, people, most people ask that question when they know the living school and they know that I'm Mormon. Um, but it, it's for me probably about nine and a half years ago or so, I really started into some deep questioning of my faith. And um, when you're a Mormon, it's it's there's kind of this uh, feeling, especially in Utah, where there's just a lot of Mormons, um, that you're all in or you're all out. And so questioning is such a really difficult place to be, and there's really no one to talk to. And so I, I struggled for years with that, trying to figure out who I could talk to that was safe, because there are a lot of people who've left the church, and they have very uh, strong voices with critique, which is super like you're i've been raised to stay away from that that is anti-mormon and we don't listen right um 
And so I was fortunate enough to find some spaces within Mormonism and podcasting and a couple of people in person who um, hold this in very much larger terms. And with my friends, both of, both of them, I would say, are, are contemplatives. Uh, one in, from a Buddhist stream and the other from more of a Christian mysticism. Um, but I still at the time, even though I knew these people, I had no idea what a mystic was. I had no idea what contemplation was all about. I really knew nothing about it. But they really helped me um, for a few years. And during this time, I actually found Richard Rohr through a, an interview with Oprah um, that he did about his book of Mortal Diamond. And, and he stopped me in his tracks when he started talking about religion. And it was like he was speaking directly to my soul, <laughs> the wrestle that I was in, talking about ego and religion and how um, how the two intersect and, and what happens when we start questioning and all of the difficulty that can come from it. And I was hooked. So I read his book, Falling Upward. I, I looked into uh, the website of the, the CAC, um, Center for Action and Contemplation, and I saw this living school I'd ne I've never met a retreat or a program I didn't want to be part of. So I, I, knowing nothing about it, I just, I just, I applied. <laughs> and my my friend who helped me, there was a friend who helped me with my application because application process, Scott can tell you, it's no joke. It's a, it's it's an undertaking, right? Um, they ask you a lot of deep things, and so my friend was like, "Now remember, these people are mystics, and so you know maybe there's some language we can help you with." And I had absolutely no idea what that meant. Right. So yeah. anyway, he helped me through some by some miracle. I I was accepted into the program, and that's where I met Scott. We were we were thrown together from day one, and yeah. um, they do these little circle groups, and I was put together with with Scott. So. I was uh, I was telling Scott this, Jana, before we jumped mm -hmm. on, before you came on the Zoom call here that, you know, meeting people like Scott, a lot of other people that I interact with, I, you know, we, we talk all sorts of things about rethinking the way we look at Christianity. Um, but it wasn't until maybe three or four years ago, I was at this little conference in New York City, and I met a young Mormon couple who started a podcast about rethinking the Mormon faith. And that was the first time I realized that I think what we're in the midst of here is not just a Christian rethinking of faith or a movement of that, but a, an entire religious rethinking here. And so, man, I'm really thankful that you were willing to come on and, and share some of your thoughts with us today. Absolutely. I mean, that was exactly my experience of the living school. You know, I'm hearing in this first symposium that we had all the questions that people are having. And I, I quickly found out I was the only Mormon in the room, you know, maybe 450, 500 people. And um, when I have that, that exact experience, oh, this isn't just a Mormon thing I'm going through. This is, <laughs> this is a human thing I'm going through. It's, it's actually one of the most valuable things I got from the, the living school is to <laughs> relativize my experience in a larger human story and to understand Christianity that, that I've been raised in. And, um, and I really felt like it was a coming home. Like I would go back to my room after listening to the presentations we had and, and the discussions we were having. And I would just cry because I just felt like something I felt home for the first time spiritually mm -hmm. in my life. The whole deconstruction thing 
will eventually, and not smoothly. I don't think it's easy to go from that whole deconstruction. I think of it as a, as a storm, a tempest. That's it's good for me, but it's it's the stormy waters. We talked a lot about it on your pack on your podcast the other day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when when. I mean, if you want to spend some more time on that, how that was for you, I'm also interested, like when you left the living school and you had to go back home because, you know, we're there for a week and then we go back and we still do our groups online and stuff. And we go back to, you know, to New Mexico for that last time. And then, where did you land? Where where's your where are your friends? Where's your tribe? Yeah, it's it's um it's been a rough thing. I will say the the most rough moment was coming home from the first symposium mm-hmm. because I had to come back and I went to church and there were, it just felt so different to me and I felt like I was trying to stick a, a a square block into a round hole it was really really difficult but since the living school um and and really since the start of the living school it's not even just when it ended um I have definitely been able to find some of my people. I mean, the good thing about being in the center of Mormonism is that there are a lot of Mormons in deconstruction. And that that doesn't always mean that people are deconstructing in the same way. There are some people who uh, stick around for years and years and years, like me, um, who are trying to make their way and make decisions about that. Sometimes it's because of family. I mean, family is so big in in the Mormon faith. Um, and, you know, I have a husband who is not deconstructing. Oh. So, so you know, I, I've i often felt like that's been a blessing and a curse. It's kind of kept yeah. an anchor for the respectability of my family and my children <laughs> so that I can go out and figure out what it is I'm going through, right? Um, but I've, I've been able to find groups. There are groups, local groups, that hold that in different ways. And I've actually kind of uh, tried all of them, you know, the ones that are, there's one called Faith Again, and I go to that one, and it's it's a place where they are, there are a lot of people still in Mormonism, but they're asking the bigger questions. Um, I've also been to groups, there's a, there are groups called Thrive Groups that are all the way out and just trying to rebuild their lives in new ways, so I've I've frequented a lot of those. But what I found for myself is I haven't really found a place yet that is regular, that is really connected, other than maybe a place for me to show up every month or two. Um, and I'm still searching and I'm actually thinking maybe I need to be starting something myself um, as a haven for people like me. But I, but I have groups, I have friends, and I have friends I can talk to. I do feel like I have right. community in some way. But when it's your entire neighborhood, and when it goes from that to being such a tight-knit group and seeing them every week, it it's new. I have to learn to build it in a way that I never had to before. You'd mentioned like some of the people that you've run into have kind of left altogether the Mormon faith. And Scott and I have met Mm -hmm. people who have left the Christian faith altogether. So that begs the question in your story. I mean, Scott and I have have Mm -hmm. answered that question probably in many different ways on this podcast, but why did you decide to, why have you decided not to just give up altogether? And why is it that you so much desire this, that you're even considering starting something yourself? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And it's a question I honestly have to ask myself. 
regularly. And I think my my reasons change regularly. Uh, but it, it was interesting. My first, That first symposium, I had a conversation with James Finley, who's one of the instructors at school, and I've never heard of him before. Um, and I happened to run into him um, at one point, just happened to be in the hall at the same time. And I, I uh, started talking to him. And after telling him I was a Mormon and how new this was for me, he said to me something that has stuck with me. It was actually very formative for me um, as I've pondered that question of what am I doing and how, why am I staying and, and how long will I stay? And he said to me, you know, through your contemplative journey, you will know if you are being called out of Mormonism or if you are being called to be a contemplative presence of wisdom among them. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be really beautiful. And it's it's something that, that I loved immediately when I heard it, but it has paid off over time. Um, and I'll add to that what I heard in that first interview with Richard Rohr with Oprah, he also said that how important it was to hold the lens of love as we go through deconstruction. And so those two things, the lens of love, trying to sit and feel where I'm called and and not to just be here to try to change my church or make it something other than it is, but is there something I have to offer from the place I stand that maybe um, the people around me don't necessarily have access to who are just completely steeped in the tradition and nothing else. So um, I would say those are the big things. Plus the fact that my husband is in, Um, I think those are some of the big reasons that I've stuck around, but I will have to say that I, I have found it absolutely necessary. Number one, to take breaks and number two, to supplement my spirituality because it it is not my place um, where I'm going to fully find what my heart is longing for in conversation and experience around God. It's not easy to find a landing place, you know. No, I, I feel like the, I feel like the Israelites <laughs> wandering through the desert in some ways still trying to find the promised land. When you asked me the other day, you know, how did Celtic Way start and <clears throat> we talked about, John Philip Newell's help, and we mm-hmm. talked about uh, a group of people. Uh, the one thing I didn't say that was very present, and Matt says it quite often, is that um, I've got to find a place where I can be me. Like you know, and that's um, yeah. I think too. <clears throat> when we found the Celtic place, that was okay. This is it. Then it, it resonated first from within, you know, and at least one hundred percent. Yeah, leaves you out one door and puts you in another. 100%. Um, And that's been an ongoing journey for me to try to find that because I was pretty foolhardy. (laughs) I I did kind of speak out about my questions pretty early on. mm -hmm. And I was completely unprepared because I thought I was trusted. I I mean, I'd been a teacher at church. Um, you know, I taught gospel doctrine. I, I taught the youth. I had taught the the Relief Society, which is the women's organization. And I felt very trusted by my community. But when I started speaking my questions, I, I quickly found a backlash and a marginalization within my group. That was really, really difficult for me and, and unexpected. And um, 
So I, I think that that has become one of the big wrestles is I don't know how safe I am in my community to be me. And oh. there's a real stubborn streak in me that just wants to force it. <laughs> it doesn't always good. It doesn't always bring good fruits. <laughs> um, but I've been a handful. I've been a handful, I think, for a lot of people that have gone through this with me. Because I I really fiercely know in my soul that I need to have that authenticity. And I think that's why the living school was such a breath of fresh air for me, because for that is one of the big reasons that I felt um, like myself that I could, I could speak my mind. Ah. I was asked to speak my mind mm -hmm. and people actually heard it and didn't think I was dangerous for it. Right. Cause that's my experience in my community. So I agree. It, it's been a big part of the unfolding of my journey is trying to find my own voice because I have spent my life referring that to authority figures in my in my church. When I read something that you had written online was maybe a month or so again ago, and you talked about uh, this kind of blossoming relationship with nature and how it became meaningful to you. And I read that and I thought, ah, I got to call Jenna, you know, I want, I want to hear about this. So I'd like to hear about that. And I, I just heard a snippet from you the other day about Joseph Smith and his, do you want to talk about Joseph Smith and then your own appreciation of the, of the nature experience? Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion, um, when he was 14 years old, he was reading uh, James in James um, and came across the scripture. If any, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And the, the story goes that that prompted him to um, go out into a grove of trees near his home and to pray and um and that is where that first vision happened where in his words god the father and jesus christ came to him um and that that grove of trees is now preserved by our church and it is called the sacred grove and we we call it the sacred grove um you know i grew up knowing what that was i never never visited it the new york um but um yeah that was a that's that our founding our founding story happened in nature it didn't happen within the world right 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 so and and i as I was pondering this and thinking about it scott like i i do know some of the songs so we have a, a children's program called the primary um that i grew up in from you know the, the time you're three years old to 12 years old, you go to this in this auxiliary part of the church. Cause you know, our church, our church, when I was growing up, our church is three hours long every Sunday. So <laughs> sorry. sorry. I've been a pastor first. I'm like, wow. Three straight <laughs> hours in a block. Right. But one of our, the songs that I loved growing up was, called my heavenly father loves me and the words of it are all about creation 
all about, you know, the wind and the sky. And whenever I see all of these things in nature, um, the line is, I'm glad that I live in this beautiful world Heavenly Father created for me. So it starts out, it's got that kind of age-old Christian story that the world was created for me. It's all about me, right? And, and I loved, but I always did love, we had these hymns that would talk about creation. On, I, I've always been really drawn to that. Um, when I was a little girl, uh, my my sister, I had a sister who was 10 years older than I was, and I had an aunt that wasn't much older than her. And they would take me out stargazing. Um or they would take me for a picnic. You know, I, I live here. I grew up right here at the foot of the Wasatch Mountains. You know, in 20 minutes, I can be up into the mountains. And we would go for picnics and have a fire and, and sing songs around the campfire. And being outside, it, it definitely, as I look back, is some of the place where I think my soul learned to understand what it was to slow down, what it was to appreciate beauty, this aesthetic sense. Um, if you've ever been in a Mormon chapel, you're not going to get the aesthetic sense at church. You, you might in a few of the temples, but not so much at where we where we gather every every week for church. But I I I I've I've been really drawn to that. They think I it's it's just kind of been a peripheral thing for me most of my life. You know, there's no particular part of, of of Mormon worship that really centers around creation other than in our temples there is a place where there is a reenactment of the creation of the world um that it's it's there to just kind of set up again the Adam and Eve story that puts us in charge so there's not a lot in my you know in in all of that that talks about me being part of it other than I did notice the second verse of this heavenly father loves me does have the last two lines for all his creations of which I'm a part. Yes, I know my heavenly father loves me. So there's a little bit of a sense, but it's not much. They're just little mm -hmm. pieces sprinkled in. Um, but I did spend um, my youth. There's our, uh, one of the real strengths of the Mormon church, in my opinion, is our, our youth programs. We have really strong youth programs. And I always had opportunities in the summer to go camping or to go up into, you know, like these Wasatch Mountains that are so beautiful. And one that I loved is this camp for girls that are 12 and 13 years old. And it's called Brighton Camp. And it's up at the tip tops of the mountains. And, and um, there, I, I, my soul just loved being up there. I just loved being, I, I felt a really deep connection to myself and to God in those places that was very formative. Um, but I'll say this, as I kind of started on my contemplative journey, it's come around to me in a very different way. And um, one of those ways is I've I've um, attended several now, I think four seven day silent retreats where we, we focus on meditation, um, you know, at least six to eight hours a day um, and then do nature practice and and things in between um, and there's a very special thing about being in that frame of mind entering into nature when you've been in silence mm. and um i've had a couple of really amazing experiences one in particular i was hiking up through the wasatch mountains 
and just along a trail, just happened to be in a space in the trail where there were no other people. And I was in the middle of this retreat. And I just had an experience where I looked around at the aspens and I, I know enough about aspen trees to know that they, they are not individual trees. They are all connected mm -hmm. through their, their root systems, right? And I don't know how many organisms I was looking at, but I knew that it was likely, you know, many fewer, <laughs> orders fewer than what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And I just had this undeniable experience that I was one of them. And I just happened to have legs. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had other experiences. Uh, one of them was being in silence and riding. A, I, I, I rented an e-bike and rode through Zion National Park. If anyone has ever been there, it's just majestic. And a lot of the, the names of the mountains and the towers and the things have reference to the bible um it's a it's a it's a beautiful beautiful place so i have been drawn now into nature being a very different thing you know i love mary oliver poetry when i go to these retreats they'll usually tell us we can bring one one book of one. sacred text <laughs> and i will bring mary oliver <laughs> I, i've brought others but i i bring mary oliver often um as my sacred text and this, this is the statement that I made on social media that I think you saw that it's obvious to me as I look around nature um, and especially in the political world we live in right now and upheavals that are going on nature tells me that God loves diversity loves 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 diversity yep. it's just obvious and it just strikes me that as humans we're the ones that have have trouble with it that when we can remember that we are part of this creation, we will recognize that diversity is what it's all about. It's how it's always been meant to be. And unity does not require uniformity. So uh, we we found one space of commonality in the idea of nature. But I think if we're truly going to have meaningful conversations that cross, cross the lines of faith traditions, you know, nature's maybe just one of the things that we need to glean from to find commonality. So where would you, as uh, in this setting, you know, somebody coming from a different faith structure, where would you see the potential? Even if we talk between the Church of Latter-day Saints and Christianity, where would you see maybe some overlap? Obviously, there's some connection to the Bible, connection to Jesus. But what are some spaces yes. that that we can find that create commonality that we can meet uh, you know, because there's going to be th some things we differ on and that's okay. But what's more important, I would think, would be the things that we have in common. So where do you see that? So for me, I I think that the most important places we can find commonality, two things come to mind. One is in shared values. So often we're talking, I think, when we have conversation, we're talking around the tops of issues and we've already kind of made our mind up about how things should be. And then somewhat when we were with somebody else, whether it's religious, political, or otherwise, those conversations just become about trying to convince one another, right? If we can get more curious and get deeper to what, what are the questions on your heart? What, what are the things that you value? Can we back this up? so that we can find 
good solutions together rather than uh, trying to convince each other what we've already figured out. Mm. Now, so shared values to me are really, really important because I find that um, some of the deeper, not not all of our values are going to line up. There are a few that are fairly universal. You know, we we all want to be seen, to be valued. We all want um, to be protected from harm. You know, if we can start conversations on where we meet, um, and I think there are some really big basic things that we can even say are sacred. You know, whether it's a person's personal journey, um, a human life, um, uh, you know, there are places where we can meet. And the second thing that comes to mind is that it's really the human experience that we have in common, even though there's so much variation in our human experience, there is also so much we share. And if we can get to know people just with pure interest and in a sense of some variation of the question, what is it like to be you? Mm. I, I think that's just a, a beautiful question to ask. And it can be asked in 10 million different ways of what is it like to be you? And I find that people close up, we find that common language of love and experience and human emotion that most of us are really afraid of in our culture. <laughs> but it is the thing that binds us. When when someone is vulnerable and really lets me see who they are, and I appreciate that, and and I allow that knowing of that person to to bring out love in me for that person, and it it just comes back to myself. There's love for me. There's love for God. There's love for everything in those moments. So I think those are the places where we where we need to meet. It's tough. Wonderful. We have a lot in common, and we're all also so very different in so many ways, you know. And when I met you at the Living School, and I had to confess this to Jenna the other day, I have, well, we all have prejudices, right, or ignorances, I think, you know. And in our small group, we had to go around and talk about ourselves, and Jenna said, you know, I'm a Mormon. And, and I thought to myself, oh, God, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, you know. I thought to myself, well, she won't be here very long, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and then we became friends and I just thought, man, you know, you've been a breath of fresh air, taught me a lot. It was good to have you as a companion as we went through the, the mystical gift of its own message of deconstructing and reconstructing and learning spiritual practice that we took with us and I have just really enjoyed having you on today. The mm -hmm. fact that such different traditions can hold this natural spirituality to understand how much God has to, to show us and to teach us and to love us through nature. And here you and I are, you know, we're still going at this together, and I'm so grateful. I just, I just want to say thank you for your time and your presence. And I'm sure we'll stay connected and we're probably going to do this again. Okay. Well, I'm always here, always up for good conversation. These are my favorite things to talk about. And I'm just so grateful for um, our friendship, uh, Scott. And, and, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a slow start for our friendship. 
you know yeah. i think i think at that very beginning i could feel the vibes <laughs> i'm not a, i'm not a good poker player but no. here's 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 another here and this actually is another way that people connect right one thing i noticed early on about us scott is when our group would go to dinner you and i would always be looking at the same things on the menu when we would split things every mm-hmm. time we're like yeah. do you want to split and you became my food splitting buddy i right. honestly think it was an inroad for us i think you're right <laughs> As I think breaking bread is, yeah, sharing that common thing. We all have to nourish ourselves, and doing that together brings out some really good things. But you know what? We 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 were uh, you know had that that start. But I really came through the program feeling very connected to you, and I've learned a lot from you as well, and been so appreciative. You've you've taught me. Speaking of Breaking Bread, our Breaking Bread gathering on the fourth Saturday of October has to do with another thing. I think we're going to have to have you on to talk about this, about how we relate to those who have died and passed on. Mm. You all have quite a take on that. Mm. We need to come back and revisit that on the podcast sometime. And I look forward to having you to break bread with us at that ceremony, too. So Fantastic. fantastic i'd love it special thanks to my good friend scott jenkins and also of course more importantly jana spangler for joining the podcast and also the celtic way podcast for more about celtic way just go to celticway.org and just google jana spangler you'll find so much great information out there on her Of course, on this podcast, we're going to go back to live, like in-person, real deal episodes next week. So get ready. Have a couple of great interviews lined up. Also a little bit of a rebranding. It's not going to blow your mind, but we're going to just change our focus just a little bit and get ready for a great year. You can find me on social media at Matt Canzera, or you can also find this podcast, Chasing Goodness, on Facebook. But until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together. Yeah.